show number 137 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. And we're off. We're off and running we on, our, on our first, like, real podcast yeah. since we've become uh, transcontinental. Yes. <laughs> it's so exciting. It is. And we have very exciting news to talk about. We do. Those of you who read the blog, and we hope that all of you do, and if you don't, you should be, because as we always say, there's stuff there that's not in the podcast. Um, we found out that Impulse is coming out on DVD for real, like a real copy of Impulse on DVD. <laughs> as, if, as opposed to the copies we all have. That's right, exactly. With commentary by Bill. Yes. Which is the best thing in the entire world. That's the only thing that could make that movie any more enjoyable. I cannot wait. It is going to be so good. And I'm sure Will the Thrill is going to be thrilled. Well, I sent him an email. He was very happy to hear about it. This was covered in um, our new favorite online publication called examiner.com. And it's our favorite because we got mentioned in it. (laughs) And also, they're always mentioning Bill. They are. They're in love with Bill. Bill's all over the place there. Everybody is. Who mm-hmm. who would? That, that's true. Um, so this was an article, and we've linked to it on the blog, so you can go read it if you want to. Um, that's partially a review of Impulse, but also a little interview with the director. They were screening it um, in Austin. Austin's a great place, and they do stuff like that all the time. So the director was going to be there while they screened this movie, and the um, publication took the uh, opportunity to chat with him a little bit. But I also wanted to read a little bit of this article because it's really, really funny. It's by a dude named um, J.M. Dobies, who's the Austin Classics Movie Examiner, and he knows his (laughs) movies, and he knows his Shatner, too. Good, good. Yeah, it's it's great. So um, he says... uh, Let's see. A lot of people put down Shatner's acting, but he's never boring to watch. Here he puts on an acting clinic, playing a murderous psychopath constantly on the verge of exploding. Shatner demonstrates fear, pain, dementia, demon rage, the whole uh, gamut of unsavory emotions in his own inimitable Shatner way. It's always fun when watching Shatner emote to try to imagine that Captain Kirk has beamed into some sort of alternate reality. (laughs) Here, Kirk is transported into a metaphysical 70s South Florida, decked out in the finest polyester psycho gear, and required to deal with a pulsing walnut-sized tumor throbbing against the aggression center of his brain. (laughs) As you would expect, Shatner carries it off with all the wit and aplomb we expect from our greatest living act. He is. I just love that. So the director talks a little bit about how they made the movie and that they shot it in something like three weeks, which just seems incredible. Uh, no, it's, they shot it in, okay, they shot it all in 15 days. Here, I just found it. <laughs> oh, you it. got it? Okay. We shot the whole movie in Tampa and shot it all in 15 days. The thing was that I only had Shatner for 12 days, which <laughs> made it sort of a complicated <laughs> shoot. I had to do all of Bill's scenes, then shoot all of the other actors on the last three days. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And, you know, half the time that they were shooting Bill's scenes were the car wash and, <laughs> and, and then the very, very long chase scene with the Tina music that we always use. Because that just went on forever. You know, we should go visit that graveyard sometime. <laughs> do you want to run through it with that music playing? I could bring a tape recorder with us. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> 
But we have to talk about how Bill got cast in the movie. It's just wonderful. So okay. He's, so they just asked him, "How did you get William Shatner to do this movie?" And he was talking about um, he and the director, a guy named Socrates. Isn't that great? <laughs> that his name is actually Socrates. Yeah. They were they were in L.A. or they were no, it, they were in Miami and they were going to fly out to L.A. Yeah. to cast the movie, and they ran into Bill Shatner, and he says, "We knew he'd be great for this part." We'd never met him, but we stopped him, introduced ourselves, and gave him the whole pitch right there. As it ended up, we didn't even go to L.A. We made a deal with him right there in the airport. Gave him the script, and he was in. Oh, man. Because when he read that script, he was like, this is it. This is the job for me. I don't think he even read the script. <laughs> We're talking about the lost years, the really desperate years, and all you had to say to, what, to Bill was, do you want an acting job? And he'd say yes. Of course. I, I am really just so shocked he didn't get into porn at that point. Uh, you know, well, who knows what was offered to him. I'm sure lots of stuff <laughs> was offered to him. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, he had the presence of mind to turn it down. But I, I just love the fact that at that time in his life, you could walk up to Bill Shatner in an airport and offer him a role. <laughs> and he would say yes. You could just pick him up right there D- in an airport. Despite the fact that your name is Socrates. Exactly. <laughs> That's so awesome. Oh, Bill. Um, And we finally got the story about him breaking his finger, and it turned out to be his pinky. Yes. Which sort of explains why he still does the pinky thing and why the pinky thing might be even a little more exaggerated now than it was. Well, um, the, the, the guy doing the interview says to this day, his finger is still twisted. So... Mm-hmm. I can't wait till it comes out. We're going to have to watch that over and over and over again. I'm well, gonna... here's, the, here's the thing. From the article, it sounds like he's not doing like a full DVD commentary. Mm-hmm. But apparently the guy had run into Bill again, probably at another airport, and said, we have the footage of when Sakata almost died and you were trying to cut him down and everything. And Bill said, well, come on over to the house and show it to me. So he did. And Bill said, there's no sound. They said, well, no, the you know, the sound wasn't recording. And Bill said, well, why don't you put it on the DVD and I'll narrate it. So we're going to get Bill narrating his own heroism. Oh, that's going to be great. Do you think he actually remembers any of that or is he just going to make stuff up? He's just going to make shit up. Okay, good. That's even better. <laughs> but maybe at some point, some strange memory will break through <laughs> and we'll hear something about impulse, like him going... Wasn't Marcy in that? (laughs) I want to hear him talk about the belly dancer at the beginning of the movie. I want to hear him talk about the clothes that he was wearing. I want him to admit that those were his own clothes or that he took them. I really do. (laughs) Well, there's so many things I would like him to talk about. I mean, yeah, the belly dancer and um, the car wash Mm -hmm. and the clothes Mm -hmm. and um, the dog meat line. Pointing. And the pointing and the chase through the cemetery and just everything. Oh, it, that movie is the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, it would be so much fun to sit down and watch that movie with him. It would I be, know. It would be the best thing in the world. It would be. That's going to be great. So we'll keep you guys uh, apprised of when it comes out. And, of course, we will get a copy of it as soon as we can get our hot little hands on it. 
Hey, here's another description yeah. of the movie that I want to read. Mm-hmm. It's from the Cinema Mared website. <laughs> yes. This film has pretty much everything you need for a successful film. Sexy studs in gigolo suits with severe childhood sexual trauma. Annoyingly snide little girls who aren't afraid of a little damage to personal property. Desperately lonely single mothers who run clothing slash kitchenware slash skincare slash tobacco outlets. And horny older lady matchmaker friends. Shatner's wardrobe, Tina's many outbursts, the chase through the car wash, and the unforgettable balloon incident. (laughs) Many movies like this start out this way, but grow tiresome. Well, not Impulse. It's got fresh surprises and unexpected delights all the way through. And a sensibly brisk 82-minute running time. That's wonderful. That's a great summing up. I love that. That is wonderful. I want to tie this into the thing that what you posted on Facebook, and which we also have on the blog, which was um, trying to use the word shatgasm in a sentence. Right. I had run across that um, word somewhere in some post someplace I don't know what I was doing and uh, so I posted it to our Facebook page and that's another thing even if you're listening to podcasts even if you're visiting the blog if you're not on our Facebook page you are missing stuff Mm -hmm. because we're we're getting to be like Bill we're everywhere we we are everywhere Mm -hmm. and and when you said the thing about shatgasm to me the very first thing that I thought of was Mm -hmm. in impulse and it's the, the scene where we see there's a like a, a quick cut to Bill in his full pimp regalia wearing your mother's hat. <laughs> yes. And I just remember every time we've seen that in a theater with people, when we've gone to um, the Shadfest with Will the Thrill, the theater just explodes. <laughs> people just scream and laugh. And I don't know what it is. It's like just this collective sort of hysteria at seeing Bill in this <laughs> ridiculous pimp outfit wearing your mother's hat with that insanely smug expression on his face and it's so misplaced in the continuity of the movie like Mm -hmm. it just breaks up a dramatic scene but there he is wearing his fine pimp wear and I just felt like when you're seeing it with a bunch of people everybody has the same reaction they just can't believe what they're seeing so that for me is the shatgasm that scene well that's great I would like to read um the shatgasm entries we had that'd be great Okay, because I said, word of the day, shatgasm, please use in a sentence and or provide an illustration. (laughs) Well, no one felt artistic, but we did get some great sentences. This is from Richie. It says, being the butt of one of Bill's inappropriate jokes gave her a little shatgasm. (laughs) Also from Richie, upon seeing Bill don his old mustard-colored velour uniform and sit in his captain's chair... All the Trekkies at the con had a simultaneous shatgasm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yes. Also from Richie. Richie was on a roll. Oh, he's so prolific. No matter how much he tried and tried, Chris Pine could never become shatgasmic. Th- that true words were never spoken. <laughs> John says, oh man, if Tron 2 only had Shatner in tight glowing crotch hug- hugging spandex, that'd be a total shatgasm. <laughs> And finally from Levon, how many gasms could a shatgasm shat if a shatgasm could shatgasms? Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. I love it. I love so it. kudos to all of you. And if anybody else wants to, you know, join in and send us more oh, shatgasm please. illustrations or sentences 
And, of course, spelling counts. There can never be too many shatgasms. Never. <laughs> this is so true. You just want them to go on and on. On and on. And on. Yep. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that's great. Let's see. I don't think there was anything else off the blog that we, we absolutely had to talk about. Oh, so we can do two things. We can either talk about um, the fanfic or we can talk about that the one shit my dad says thing that we posted. No, let's just, let's just go on to the fanfic. Okay, let's do it. So we promised in our last tiny little podcast update that we were going to talk about some bad fanfic. And this is the episode where we do it. Because so many of you... You know, when we did our, our interviews at the last um, Chatmoy, and, you know, people ask us, you know, what, they stop us at airports and ask us to do more bad fanfic. Yeah. And, and it's not like there's a dearth of the stuff. I mean, it's all over the place, but the key is to pick the right stuff, the funny yes. stuff. So we've yes. got some great stuff today. I'm very, very happy with what we have. We're very excited about what we've got here. So what should we start with? Well, let's start with, um, let me pick up what we talked about last time a little bit, which was this um, very, 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 very long, 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 long story with the the illustrations of the tiny pegasi in it. Yes, yes. Now I'm going to give some context, and I I will give a a Shatnerific, look at his bust, but craptastic prize to anyone who's actually read this story. It's more than a story. This novel. This, this mm-hmm. tome, I will even call it a tome. It's called The Misfit. So right away, you know, like you're into Mary Sue fanfic land because they're all about misfits, aren't they? Aren't they really all of them? Um, many, yes, many of them are. Okay, and point number two is that it's subtitled A Star Trek Romance. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> no, I'm ready. Okay. I've got the insulin in my hand. This was written in February of 1974. So this is old, 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 old. And, and I'm not going to read um, specifically from the text because there's just too much of it, and it's so wordy, it just goes on and on. I will find something good. But what I really wanted to read was a little bit of the introduction because the author of this hundreds of pages thing saw fit to write, you know, basically a four-page introduction to the thing. <laughs> and it's wonderful. It's just so earnest. <sighs> so here's what she says. Dear reader, love it. I love it already. (laughs) Did you really think I'd let you start reading this book without asking you to stop for a chat first? Relax. I'm not going to describe my my trials and tribulations in getting this into your hands. Those of you who publish fanzines know what I've experienced. Those of you who don't would never believe it. Have you ever read something that had such an impact upon your imagination that you found yourself writing on that same theme? Such was my experience when I first read Norma M. Smith's Stay, which, in fact, is the story that precedes this, and it's only about four pages long. In fact, the story invaded my dreams and continued beyond the point where Norma stopped. Generally, story ideas that come to me in dreams vanish the moment I wake up. This one didn't, possibly because I'd seen a rerun of Journey to Babel that same week. Okay. Okay. That dream haunted me, demanding to be written, but my work schedule was so heavy that it was all I could do to squeeze out time to watch Star Trek. Writing was out of the question. Eventually, neglecting my health one time too often put me into the hospital for many weary weeks. (laughs) Oh my god. What better time to write out that dream and get it off my mind? A very odd thing happened when I first put pen to paper, though. 
A calm voice seemed to be speaking within the depths of my mind, dictating the plot. I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. Indeed, this manuscript provided priceless occupational therapy during a year of convalescence that I consider my personal gesthemony. When I had finished the handwritten version, I came to the conclusion that if a voice had been speaking to me, there had been a lot of communication gaps. The manuscript was so terribly rough in spots that I hid it. This is my favorite line. Since I'd begun working as a freelance secretary, I didn't have time to do a revision. I like the word <laughs> freelance secretary. Really? <laughs> However, the manuscript started to haunt me, and I found myself dragging it out to work on it at the oddest times. Um, so she goes on for a bit and t- tells about all the things that happened to her and how she finally got it. But here's, here's a really good thing. Um, it says... It's been said that Star Trek fan stories are written by adolescent females who feature themselves with with their favorite hero. And then she puts four question marks. I'll admit to looking within my own mind and heart for reactions to certain situations. What writer doesn't? However, I've not seen an adolescent for so long that I now have one of my own running around the house. Also, my heroine isn't based on any one individual. She and her history is based upon a composite of people and family circumstances I've observed during nearly two decades of life with a husband who works in a very demanding public profession. So that was a big paragraph to say, no, really, it's not a Mary Sue. And, like, the more you deny something like that, the more it really is a Mary Sue. Um, what do you think this public profession is? I, I don't know. I really okay, I'm, guess, I'm guessing the author is Tipper Gore. <laughs> That just flashed into my mind when she said that. It could be. It could very well be. And then one other thing is that she provides some assistance upon reading what you're now holding. So she says, there is one technical note. Whenever my heroine is thinking directly instead of making a recording, her thoughts are denoted by underlining. And the word underlining is underlined. Of course. When she is in mental communication with another, this is denoted by the use of the slash. So right there, you know that there's going to be all kinds of Vulcan mind melding and all the mental goopy goopy communication (laughs) that always happens in these stories. Yep. Yep. I love when stories start out with like a glossary of words they've made up and punctuation they've made up and given different meanings to. Yeah. Just yeah. to kind of help you along, and then, you know, the obligatory disclaimer that it's not really a Mary Sue story, which means it really, really, really is a Mary <laughs> Sue story. So you should know that, guys. You know, when you're reading fanfic, whenever you read the upfront stuff for a piece of fanfic, whatever the author is disclaiming and saying, um, I, I'm not really writing X, that means they are. Yeah. Like, that's just the rule. Mm-hmm. So if, if they're saying, this isn't really based on anything that happened in my life, it is. If it's, they say, it's not really about me, it is. If they say, this character really isn't my favorite, it is. It always is. So you just need to know that. It makes it so much easier when you're reading So stories. what does it mean if you were to preface your Star Trek story with, this is about me? <laughs> and it really wouldn't be about you. <laughs> it would be about the you that you want to be, which isn't really yes. you. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's like, this is kind of about me, but... Not to the point where I'm embarrassed about it, yeah. even though maybe I should be. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so I will try to find, for the next time we read Bad Fandom, I'll try to find a, a page to select from here that has some pretty bad writing. But man, is this thing wordy. It's 223 pages, t- 
typewritten single-spaced pages, mind you. Oh, my God. My eyes are rolling just hearing and about it's badly Xerox, and it has an epilogue, and it has all these pictures of um, the Pegasi and all the rest of it. And the heroine's name is Lorna Mitchell. I don't think she's any relation to Gary Mitchell. I think she was... Um, is she any relation to Lorna Loft? Maybe. <laughs> she came from 1969. It's one of those time traveler things. Well, of course. Which is an even bigger clue that it's a Mary Sue story. <laughs> this is true. <clears throat> so, um, should should we read a little feedback to Bad Santa? I think we should. Okay, this um, one <laughs> this of our laugh so hard. <laughs> one of our buddies posted this to a group we're on, um, and and this is feedback to a story, and. It was not sent to a story of hers, but she found it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You are the worst fan fiction writer I ever saw, and that is saying something. I have seen people who fail to utilize extensive vocabulary and a grammatically correct syntax, but their stories, and there is spelled T-H-E-R-E, are far superior to this pathetic crap you call a story. First of all, I despised how you attacked Tom at every possible turn. I can tell that you do not like Tom, but you should think about those of us that do. Secondly, Voyager never encountered the Vidians again until after they crossed over Borg space. You must be a moron if you thought that they did. None of this was funny. It was about as funny as a documentary on the Holocaust. I hated every single sentence in this poorly written garbage. This is a disaster. Period. <laughs> oh, man. That, man. That just, it cuts you to the quick, doesn't it? If you got well, you know what cracks me up about it? Um... I have read bad fanfic and bad real fic. And the thing about fanfic is if people don't like it, they take it so personally. And they want to attack on a very personal, hurtful level. Yes, you've been the the, uh, subject of that several times. Yes, that that has happened. Yes, me and the alpha monkey and a few others. (laughs) But, you know, it's it's just this, this... strange phenomenon i mean have you ever 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 run into anybody who becomes this angry over something let's say um hemingway wrote or stephen king or tolkien or jacqueline suzanne even you know it's crazy i I love it it says it right there i can tell that you do not do not like tom but you should think about those of us that do that's right. Because you should be aware of every single person who might ever read this in the <laughs> history of everything. Just from this day forward to infinity. Think about all those people and what they, might, right. what they might like or might have their feelings hurt or something like that. You well, and it. it just always makes me think of that person I encountered who told me, when Spock is cut, I bleed. <laughs> and, you know, I could just back away slowly as... Well, the best part about that little piece of feedback was that our good, good friend, the hilarious and wonderful Helmboy. Who was the inspiration for this show. Yes, very much so. And who's been on this show. Yes. Um, 
And if you haven't, if you're a newish listener to this show, you have to go back and listen to Helmboy when we interviewed her at, at one of the many cons because she was wonderful and, and provided mm-hmm. us many hilarious moments. Um, she did a little investigating and found out that the person who left that remark is actually a prolific fanfic writer themselves. And the best thing is that that person has uh, created about 11 original characters all their own. And her comment was, they are never normal, but then they are aboard the biggest starship the Federation has ever made. What's its name? Champion, of course. Of course. And then she went and she found descriptions for each of these original characters and did a little summary with some commentary on it. And when I was reading these descriptions, even without her commentary, it just had me cracking up. Oh, yeah. They're so over the top. They're, they're like the, the, the suiest of the Mary Sues. <laughs> I think you made up a new word. I, think I, re- did. I repudiate that word. <laughs> Why don't we. Do you have that open? Cause I do. I, I have it right in okay. front of me, yes. Why don't we read that and you read the, the main parts and I'll read the little interjections, which mm. are from Helmboy, so they'll know. Yes. Okay. So the first one, oh, the first one is the chief main character. As opposed to the main character who is a chief. Captain Michael Larson, just 13, oh, 13 years. Old. After he graduated from Starfleet Academy. First of all, let me just interject there. He graduated from Starfleet Academy at 13 years old. Seriously? I mean. He's, he's the Doogie Howser of his century. Oh, my God. Okay. Larson is given the position of. Pool boy. CO on a prototype starship. This certain vessel. As opposed to that one over there. Just so happens. To wit and as it were. To be the largest. I.e. most humongous, biggest, gooderest. Thank you, Tom. Badass motherfucking sea shaft. <laughs> Federation starship ever built. This week. The USS Champion. The USS My Penis is Bigger Than Yours Is, so eat it, Klingons. <laughs> NCC Googleplex. And then there are ten more characters. Of course. you got to have other people on the ship. Yes. Lieutenant Nicholas Casey, a man who is easily categorized as skillful and brawnly. Just like the paper towel. But gentle. Like a little girl, which he sometimes dresses up as when no one is around but him and his teddy bear, Kukaluka. <laughs> At the same time. Casey is on board the champion as the chief con officer. Every ship needs a con, man. <laughs> See Paris, Tom, a.k.a. Plushy from Cell Block D. <laughs> oh, I hope I can pronounce some of these names here. Let's see. <laughs> because, of course, now we have to get into the stupid names. Um, <laughs> Lieutenant Tymar Halrinso. <laughs> Who made, whose family made a fortune in shampoo. <laughs> I, I made was, that up. That's I was not helpful. Dishwashing detergent, but oh, okay. <laughs> a serious, no-nonsense bullion. Hal Rinso takes the positions of third officer and security chief. No nonsense, except for that time when he tried out for the Smurf movie and got cast <laughs> as the girl. Ensign Cheryl Hopkins, a brilliant linguistics expert who just graduated from the academy. Hopkins comes on board to be communications officer. Cheryl can PMS brilliantly in 52,000 languages and dialects. Give me an F, give me a U, give me a C, fish cheer, 1960s, before most of this list was born. Yes, I am elderly. Dr. Keller, the prototype of the EMH Mark 
15 series, Keller assumes the responsibilities of chief medical officer. Batteries and warranty not included. Lieutenant Seth Marquez, the first man to become a father before entering Starfleet. (laughs) I don't even understand that, because Doc McCoy just rented his kid. (laughs) Well, they had established that McCoy had a daughter. Yeah, but he just rented her. (laughs) Marquez and his teen... (laughs) Marquez and his teenage daughter, Diana. Who incidentally is me, me, me. I come with the standard issue red hair, green eyes, karate horseman meme, of course. They come on board when the former accepts the position of chief engineer. As opposed to the latter. One of them has an intense fear of heights. I'll have to check in, you know, um, the misfit story, whether she's got red hair and green eyes. Okay. And if she has the horseman thing going on as well. We'll have to see. Okay. Ensign Nobema, the first Romulan to enter Starfleet, Nobema takes on his role takes on the role as the champion's operation officer. And underhanded backstabbing schemer. He is intensely aware it is because of other people's bangs envy. Lieutenant Miral Paris. Oh God. <laughs> I just like the names, right? Yeah. Get to the names. The quarter Klingon daughter of two well-renowned Starfleet admirals, Paris serves under... We all know what that means. Please, someone tell me. Serves under Captain Larson as tactical officer. The daughter of Admiral friggin' Bolana Torres. Yes, Torres, not Paris. And her D-bagged husband, oh, what's his name? Oh, let's see. Uh, Dr. Rizix. A member of a new species I invented, known as the Cranarians. They are me, me, me. They come with the standard blank hair and eye color, are experts at blank, and like to blork bits when no one is looking. An inherently hostile but accepting race. Of peace-loving tofu-eating terroristic vampires. Rizix. Commonly referred to below decks as Rizix who fucking sucks. Works as the vessel's science officer. Because Spock and the entire Vulcan race was out that weekend when they were drawing short straws. I love the name on this one. Commander Ashley Sanderson. Ashley. Ashley. An officer who, just an officer, who was once given a... Non-controversial 10-month... Slap on the wrist due to wild monkey sex with the entire military tribunal. See Tom Paris, a.k.a. Plushie. Sentence in a holding cell. For holding bags, see ahead. For violating the Optimus Prime Directive. About never touching his truck nuts. <laughs> Sanderson starts to regain, regain her positive image. Because that is more important than even ability or big boobs. See James T. Kirk, the man, not his boobs. <laughs> From before the violation, when Larson makes her the ship's first officer. Because every first officer should be someone who violates the Optimus Prime Directive and is a pedophile. See Will Riker and Wesley. <laughs> oh, I, you know, even without um, Helmboy's comments, it still doesn't make any sense. You know? No, no. It's, it, like, I'm going to read it again. Sanderson starts to regain her positive image from before the violation. From before the violation. Well, that was before, before six weeks months, later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's okay. <laughs> Okay, and then lastly, Lieutenant Commander Patrick Wood. I love this one. Me too. See what I said about Sui is? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, the most intelligent human known to have existed with an IQ of over 500 points. <laughs> the 
functions as second officer and counselor. I'm sorry, he should function as fucking God if he's got an <laughs> IQ of over 500 points. And here's Helmboy's comment. He is a rare person installing a spare head to hold 300 of those points. <laughs> oh man, perhaps the most intelligent human known to have existed. <laughs> So um, I don't think the IQ scale goes that high. I don't think it does either. <laughs> and, and frankly, I mean, once you get over a certain amount, does it matter? Do you have to even count anymore? Right, right, so what's yeah. What's the difference between 490 and 500? What was yeah. The, what was the question you missed to get you a 490 <laughs> as opposed to a 500? You pathetic piece of shit. You missed a question. <laughs> you know, there was something, just one little thing that you missed. I think if you if let's let's go out on a limb here and say if that were possible I think if you were that far off the normal scale you you would be insane. Oh yeah, absolutely psychotic, it, totally psychotic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You just you'd be non-functional. You couldn't you couldn't function at all. No. 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 D- definitely not. Maybe so, that's why he's only second officer. Yeah, really. He's the second counselor. And counselor, counselor yeah, yes. He has so much insight into people because really, he's like them. I really want to go and talk, you know, pour out my heart to somebody with an IQ of 500. <laughs> They're going to understand me. They're going to know just what it's like to be in my position. And that's right. And yes, and they're not going to have any contempt for you and your petty little worries. No, no. No, no, Phil. That would be the best person you could possibly ever go to. <laughs> oh my God, that's too funny. So I, after reading that via, via Helmboy, I, you know, and picking myself up off the floor where I was <laughs> laughing and limp, um, I was too scared to actually read any of that fanfic because it, oh it yeah, who wouldn't so be? Bad, so very, very, very bad. Well, you know what? I have to tell you something. This is a little off topic, but I think it's. It, it's related to the mentality we're discussing here, not the 500 IQ one. Um, I went to the movies. Mm-hmm. And before the movie started, before the uh, coming attraction started and everything, there were two girls sitting behind me. And I turned around and looked at them. And they were like 17, 18, 19. And they were having a serious discussion about what their plan is when, not if, but when, the zombies take over the city. <laughs> and they were discussing whose apartment they should go to. And the one said, well, I don't think mine would be a good one because, you know, if, if the zombies take over the whole city, then there's probably not going to be any electricity and I don't know how I'd get out of the building to, to go buy groceries or anything. So, so holding up in an apartment is where you want to be when the zombie apocalypse happens then. Well, and the one said, when they announce that the zombies have taken over the city, I will be so scared. <laughs> she had to verbalize that because <laughs> no one would have known otherwise. No, I mean, yeah, you might have assumed she'd have some other wonderful reaction. You know, she'd be overjoyed or she'd be bored to death and go take a nap. But Well... You know, speaking for myself, I don't think I'd want to be in an apartment when the zombies came. I think that would be a bad place to be. <laughs> okay, what do you think is the good place? The armory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
on a boat in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> Either of those options would work for me, honestly. Okay, well, I'm glad you have a plan because I don't. Because I, it's not I, really for a plan. Me, it, it's just more of an idea. Okay. <laughs> Okie dokie. Yeah, it's 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 less of a plan than and more of a. I'm not going to be in someone's fucking apartment waiting for them to come and break down the door. You know, what, and fending them off with my central vacuuming. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I could throw knickknacks at them. <laughs> I mean, all you really could do is hope that you're in an apartment that's up, like, several floors, and then, like, kind of lead them to the edge and push them off or make them run off or something. Yeah, that that might work. That but, might work. You know, but then they just keep coming back. It would be like a zombie treadmill. Well, um, these girls seem to know a certain amount about how you can kill zombies. I didn't quite catch the detail. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, they're prepared. Oh, a, a little bit anyway. And uh, and you know, I have to take points off though for being prepared for something that's never going to happen. <laughs> Do you think they had some inside information? No, I don't. Oh, okay. That good. That's good. I'm glad. I think they are late to to work or to school or whatever every day because they do not have a plan for what if the train is late. Mm, but they do. Which have the does zombie. have. But they do have a plan for when the zombies, the zombies take over yeah. Chicago. Yeah, yeah. I see. All right, that's good. I I just am praying that they're not like pre med. <laughs> if they're thinking that much about zombies, probably not. <laughs> Let's hope. Yeah. Well, listen. Um, I think we should take a little break. Okay. And then I think that we should uh, come back and uh, read the other fanfic that you yes. have that you physically yes. have. Yes. Okay. So um, I'm gonna we're gonna take a little break. We'll do all the stuff and then we'll come back. Okay. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. We say it all the time, but I'll say it again. We love hearing from you. Blogging at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. Comments to lookathisbutt at gmail.com. This podcast recorded on a MacBook Pro with GarageBand. Now we're back, and we've got some administrata, administrata, administrative, administrative stuff to talk about. Housekeeping stuff, stuff that's gooder. Yeah, stuff that's gooder, more goodish. Um, the first thing is, people who listen closely to the show will have noticed that we no longer have the little ad for tsfpn.com, and you know why that is? Because they don't even exist anymore. 
I just lame. Recently, it's lame. I just recently found out that they dissolved themselves a while back, and I just never paid any attention to it. What's so fucking <laughs> ever? So, so they didn't send you. They anything? didn't send me anything. It's just like, so we've been associated with a, a non-existent entity. We have been. So now we're not. Oh, anymore. Humiliating. It's kind of. I feel stupid. I feel very but stupid. You know what? That means we're the survivors of a dead network. We are. We've survived. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this was first to explain why we're not. It's not that we were kicked out. It's that it went away. Yeah. Um, and to ask our listeners if they know of any other similar sorts of podcasting networks that you think that we should be a part of because we'd be perfectly happy to associate with some association if um, there's some promotion to be done and if it seems in line with what we do and it's humor oriented or Trek oriented or Shatner oriented or whatever but um, we're, we're not averse to being into another network but I just don't know what's out there and honestly I don't really have the time or energy to look around and find one that looks right for us. So I'm just throwing it out there to the listening audience. And while we're throwing it out there, we know you guys never do your homework, but we keep asking you to. Here's another one. We really want to go to Dragon Con this year, mm-hmm. which is in Atlanta sometime in September. Yep. And Bill is going to be there. Bill's going to be there. Bill's going to be there. So we're making our plans. And um, if we go... We, first of all, want to get press passes. Secondly, we would really love to do Look at His Butt Live mm-hmm. at DragonCon. So if any of you have the connections to the DragonCon people who run this and set it up and want to help us get in touch with them, uh, that would be fantastic. Yeah. We'll do it and we can make it. You know, 20 minutes, we can make it half an hour, we can make it an hour. Whatever kind of time slot that we could have, we will Mm -hmm. make it fit. We will make it fit. And if we can't do a whole thing, we could be part of something else where we just do, you know, 10 minutes, that's the best of look at his butt. We could do that too. Right, because, you know, we were... We did like a little 10-minute thing at uh, that San Francisco uh, theater festival. So, And we've got this fantastic show, we've got props, we've got production values we do we have funny stuff we have material we've got jokes we've got all kinds of things and songs and, and we want to meet people we want to meet people who listen to our show and convince other people to listen to us and just kind of get out there and do it so you know let let's get to work on this all you people let's first of all plan a, a, a meet up at dragon con mm-hmm. we'll have another great butt party like the one we had in sacramento oh yes and that was a great butt party. And we'll probably get written up in the newspaper again. Probably the Atlanta Journal-Constitution or whatever it's called <laughs> will be there covering our butt party. And we would love to perform there. And we want to meet Bill and take him out for drinks yeah. and hold his hand. And, and watch Impulse with him. <laughs> <laughs> we can invite him back to the room to watch Impulse. Oh, I'm sure he'd love to do that. Oh, that would be the best room party ever. <laughs> that would transcend all other room parties. Oh my god! It, it would be, be like the room party with an IQ of five hundred. It would be. It would be so awesome. Be, you know, people would be like walking down the hall where our room is, and they would see this glow coming from the door because it was so magical and special. Well, that would be the glow of all the shatgasms. Yes. Oh, it would be a continuous shatgasm if that happened. Oh my god! Wouldn't so you awesome. love to be sitting next to Bill? When he appears yes. on the screen in the pimp hat. 
say <clears throat> when he saw himself wearing that hat and that outfit? You know what he'd say? What? Oh, fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would probably be not too happy to have been reminded of all that. I, I think, think so. that's one of the things he's blocked out of his mind is doing impulse. <laughs> In fact, I wonder, has he ever seen that movie? I doubt it. He said he doesn't like to watch himself in anything, so... I know, but, like, when there's a premiere, like the Star Trek movie premieres, he goes and, you know, watches them and, and things like that. So if this movie had any sort of premiere, and he did promote it on TV. I remember seeing him on talk shows or something, you know, talking about it, so... I don't know, but you know, I have my impression of Bill. What I'd like to think about Bill is that if he if he had to sit down and watch it, he'd have enough of a sense of humor that he would laugh and make jokes at his own expense all the way through it. I would hope so. Yes. Even even at the impact yeah. and the pointing. I think so. I think so. And the the nail chewing and and the strong man outfit <laughs> and the balloons. <laughs> He'd probably be very proud of that scene. He'd oh. say, I improvised that. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, that's so funny. <laughs> <clears throat> Moving along. Um, okay. You have something else to read, don't you? <laughs> yes, getting back to our bad fanfic. This is one of the worst fanfics ever. And there used to be a site called God Awful Fanfic mm-hmm. where they would. Just a minute, I'm going to adjust my mic a little where they would um, post these things. And it was very controversial because, you know, if something of yours was posted, obviously you would be very upset. But it was certainly entertaining for those of us whose material wasn't posted, although we may have deserved it. But um, <clears throat> this is just so amazing. And it's it's not all that long. It's like four, five pages. We'll see how far we can get into it. Mm-hmm. This is called... Origin of the Telepathic Children Invaders by Cats. Space, the final frontier. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Dot, 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 dot. (laughs) And out in space, there was a sun. It used to be a normal sun, but one day a large meteor decided to visit the sun, and the visit was so violent that the sun splashed its essence outwards. Near the sun was a small planet. This planet used to be full of life, but the splash was so intense that it drove deep into the little planet, taking everything on the planet with it. And now we have too many asterisks to count, which signifies change of scene. Uh The Enterprise was heading back towards Earth for a very boring meeting. When Uhura said, Captain, a very strange sound seems to be coming from the first planet circling that sun. At that moment, Dr. McCoy was pulling rank to force the captain to come to sickbay for the medical examination that he had been putting off since the last time they visited Earth. How many prepositions were in that sentence? (laughs) I lost count. That was like seven prepositional (laughs) phrases in a row. Sorry, Bones, can't right now. Uhura, what sort of sound are you receiving? It's sort of rhythmical and seems to come in waves of varying intensity. It's almost like a bunch of voices singing and making musical sounds, but it's all distorted. Put it on the intercom. Suddenly, everyone could hear the weird sound. After listening for a while, 
Captain Kirk began to get the prickly feeling that someone was whispering in his ear. Well, I thought he was going to feel like a cactus because of that prickly feeling. <laughs> Not yet. But he couldn't focus on that because he was also feeling urges that were building up until, without even realizing what he was doing, he strode over to the communications console, pulled Uhura to her feet, and planted a kiss on her lips. Wow. Big line of asterisks. Now, Uhura had also been getting whispery urges and had just started to smooch him back when his, li- when his lips were abruptly wrenched away and replaced by a new pair of lips. <laughs> just the lips, just the disembodied lips. That's right, I love those. On the floor up against a bulkhead, Captain Kirk slowly opened his eyes and closed them again upon seeing a whirling cascade of shapes. He shook his head, then opened his eyes again, this time leaving them open. When he shook his head, did it make that, like, Warner Brothers Looney Tunes kind of noise? Did he shake his head and goes, aye, 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 like that? Or, or it rattled. It rattled. <laughs> this time leaving them open until the whirling stopped and he realized that he was seeing the entire bridge crew in passionate embraces and various stages of disarray. In fact, on the floor nearby, he saw a nude Sulu and Chekhov having doggy-style sex. Oh, my God. Woof! Also on the floor nearby were some of the crew that had also been thrown against the bulkhead. As soon as one of them woke up, he immediately crawled over to the closest one and started kissing him. It was then Captain Kirk realized that with all the raunchy behavior going on, he couldn't hear a single thing. It was as if a light bulb went off in his head and made him deaf. He remembered the weird music and the feeling that came over him, the feeling that made him kiss Uhura. Uhura. Captain Kirk slowly got up, steadying himself against the wall. He looked around but did not see her. His head was still a bit woozy, so he slowly shuffled over to communications, and then he saw her. She was kneeling on the floor with Spock, and they were both nearly undressed. Finally, it all came together for him. It was the sound. That strange music with the whispery undertone must be causing all this emotional activity. That was why he didn't feel it anymore. He didn't hear the sound. Captain Kirk leaned over the communication console and switched the speakers off. All around, the crew that had been so intensely passionate suddenly pushed away from the one they had been with, looking startled and embarrassed, especially Sulu and Chekhov, who scrambled to get their clothes back on. He looked over at Uhura and Spock, expecting them to also look embarrassed, but instead instead he saw Uhura pushing and hitting Spock with her mouth wide open, and then in parens, possibly screaming. (laughs) And looking... writer of the story who isn't actually sure what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's best. Oh my god. Okay, go on. While Spock, instead of releasing her, was actually pushing her down onto the floor and ripping off the last of her clothes. (gasps) Kirk, Kirk called Spock's name and grabbed Spock's arm. Spock stopped and looked at Kirk with the enraged eyes and face of one in the deepest throes of Pond Far. It's the pond far. (laughs) 
Spock, possibly roaring, possibly. grabbed Kirk and lift him up, lifted him up, intending to throw him across the room. But instead, he was hit in the chest with a phaser fire, so he crumpled to the ground and Kirk landed on top of him. Later in sickbay... <laughs> A concerned Captain Kirk was hanging about. Hanging Doc- about. He was just, he was lurking. He was loitering. Yep, yep. Well, that's, you know, part of being the captain. While Dr. McCoy ran a diagnosis on Spock to see if anything had changed from the last time that he had gone insane and thrown Jim across the room. Nope, still dead. Okay. <laughs> Spock opened his eyes and whispered, Jim. A relieved Captain Kirk, whose hearing had returned, smiled, and came over to look down at Spock, who looked up at him, and started to whisper another word when his face started changing. The The recognition vanished from his eyes and was replaced by a faraway look, then finally the look of pawn far lust. Spock strained and broke the straps, holding him to the bed. He reached over his body and grabbed a startled Captain Kirk's arm, (laughs) pulling him down on top of him. Then he tightly wrapped his arms around the struggling captain, who was shocked to feel Spock's tongue enter his mouth. (laughs) Dr. McCoy quickly hyposprayed Spock into unconsciousness. Captain Kirk extracted himself from Spock's arms and straightened up, breathing heavily. (sighs) What's wrong with him? he panted. Why didn't Spock snap out of it like everyone else when I turned off the speakers? Jim, it isn't just Spock. Every Vulcan on the ship is in the same condition. Now, remind me who are all the other Vulcans Uh, on the ship? I was just going to say that. Um, There was... uh... Besides Tepeng and Tepong, I don't know who else there was. Right. (laughs) (laughs) To a lesser degree, anyone with telepath powers is still affected in some form or another, but the Vulcans are affected the most. Apparently, the libido is stimulated to such a degree that the only driving thought is to copulate with the first living object they see of any size, shape, or form. So, does that mean, like, plants? I don't know. I I don't even want to know what that means. Okay. That's horrible. (laughs) Captain Kirk sat down heavily on the nearest chair. (laughs) He just flopped. He just flopped down. And did it, like, collapse something? He rubbed the back of his head while his brain struggled to come up with a solution to this dilemma. Then he stopped rubbing as his eyes brightened with the idea that popped into his head. Bones, the telepathically inclined are still affected, even though we can't hear that music. I believe I already said that. Don't you see? They weren't affected before we heard that music. Captain Kirk pushed the intercom button and told Chekhov to reverse the engines. Reversing engines, sir. Let me know when we reach the point where Uhura put that music transmission on the speakers. Aye, sir. Captain Kirk stood and stared at Spock who was starting wake up. <laughs> Just like before, he seemed normal for a moment. Then the overwhelming desire took him over again. 
Spock focused his eyes on Captain Kirk, and his already strong muscles were greatly enhanced by his libido-driven desires so much so that he did not even feel the pain of the straps cutting into him as he struggled to break free of the multitude of straps that kept him from the object of his desire. That was quite a sentence. That was. Wow, I'm tired. Dr. McCoy turned to ready a hypospray as Spock broke free of the straps one by one. Captain, we have reached the spot you wanted to be notified about. Should we stop? No, keep reversing until further notice. (laughs) Um, You know, that whole description of Spock, like breaking free of the straps one by one, it Uh totally reminds me of um, the scene in Young Frankenstein when he's on the table and he breaks free of the straps one by one. I think that's exactly what the author was trying to evoke there. I think so. Spock broke through the last strap then jumped off the medibed. (laughs) The medibed. And before you could blink, Captain Kirk was in his grasp. Dr. McCoy came up behind Spock with the hypospray in his hand. A part of Spock must have remembered the last time and kept his senses alert because this time he lashed backward with his leg and hit Dr. McCoy in the pelvis region, (laughs) thus putting him out of commission for a while. What happened to Chapel? Where is she during all of this? I I don't know. She, I don't know. Uh, She's fucking a plant. Okay. Captain Kirk started to call Spock's name, but couldn't because of the intrusion of a tongue. (laughs) The disembodied tongue. Eventually, Spock retrieved his tongue. Oh, God. Does it really say that? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so horrible. (laughs) It started ripping off the clothes of his desire. The clothes of his desire, really? (laughs) Yeah. He retrieved his tongue. Oh, my God. Sorry. (laughs) Captain Kirk managed to get an arm free and hit Spock in the face. (laughs) Thank God. So it it sort of started with um, Spock uh, grabbing Kirk's startled arm or whatever it was before. (laughs) And um, now it's just moved on to loads and loads of disembodied parts. Yep. All of it. Every single thing from now on is going to be disembodied. Okay. Just wanted to check. Okay. It only seemed to intensify Spock's clothes-ripping efforts. (laughs) Kirk hit him again and called out, Spock, snap out of it. It's me, Jim. Spock faltered for a moment, then started ripping off his own clothes. (laughs) Spock, don't you remember me? It's Jim. Spock, think about what you're doing. Spock. Slowly, Spock's clothes-ripping slowed as (laughs) the... Wait, I like that slowly it slowed (laughs) as the familiar voice penetrated into his brain. Recognition started to come into his eyes. His eyes took on the look of shock. See, disembodied again, his eyes, all by themselves, (laughs) not attached or anything. They were floating in the room. As he saw Kirk's naked condition. (laughs) What condition was that? I don't know, but it was naked, and remembered what he had been doing. Slowly, Spock stood up and got a blanket for Kirk, who quickly wrapped it around himself. Then they both checked on McCoy's condition. Now we have a whole bunch of asterisks again. Is that supposed to be like passage of time or something? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) As the Enterprise warped away, they left behind a circle of warning beacons around the planet. 
For most of the crew, the only thing they took away were some embarrassing memories, while those telepathically inclined and their enforced partners had more to live with and try to live down. A few of the crew apparently liked the experience so much that they started doing it on a regular basis and eventually married. (laughs) The thing that puzzled Dr. McCoy was that every woman who had copulated with a man while enthralled by the planet became pregnant, dot, dot, dot. Even those who were not genetically compatible. But the most puzzling thing of all was that all the babies looked the same and none of them looked like their parents. That's it. (laughs) So they just stopped typing at that point. (laughs) Well, no, it says a cat's creation. The rest of the story written on March 19th, 1998. And that story makes no sense at all. No, not even a little bit. So... So is backing up the same as going back in time? I don't know. You have to reverse the engines. I, I, I don't know. Just keep backing up. Do you think the Enterprise makes a beeping noise when it backs up? <laughs> a really loud one? Yep. Beep, beep, beep. One so loud it can be heard in space. That's right. Wow. That's, you know, I, as you were reading that, because it's been a long time since I read that story, <laughs> like probably since 1998 was the last time I read that story. Um I was trying to figure out what exactly inspired that person to write the story. You know, did they really have an idea about um, telepathic children, aliens, or something like that? Or really was it just an excuse to get Spock to try to rape Kirk? Oh, definitely the the rape scenario. The rape scenario, yeah. And yeah. it was sort of stopped just in time for anything nasty, actually. <laughs> yes, Spock retrieved his tongue, and that pretty much put us... <laughs> Top. Put it back in his pocket. <laughs> to all the, the slow, closed, ripping slowness. <laughs> oh, that's just so horrible. Oh, what a horrible story. Oh, my God. Well, the thing that I love about the horrible stories is they never make sense. No. I mean, cause and effect, it's, it's, it's even less, they have less responsibility to responsibility to cause and effect than a roadrunner cartoon. <laughs> there is a lot of cause and effect in a roadrunner cartoon. It <laughs> has a lot of internal consistency. Right, internal consistency. Yeah. <laughs> consistency really isn't the strong point of people who write fiction like this, I would say. <laughs> Neither is spelling. No. Just stuff sort of happens. Yeah. And then whatever. And then it's over. And and I always think about that when they get to the end. It's just that they got tired of typing. And they said, <laughs> all right, I'm done now. It's over. Well, I do like that this, you know, although it has a spooky ending, also has a happy ending that some people got married. They got married. As, Isn't you know, that nice? Because it, it wasn't that bad that, um, you know, they were being raped or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and it was okay later on. Yeah. And nobody yeah. was traumatized, and, you know, they didn't all have to go for counseling with that guy with the 500. <laughs> He's not on their ship. <laughs> oh, He's right. on the, uh, the my champion. penis is bigger than yours, so suck at Klingons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love bad fans. Oh, thanks for reading that. Thank you for being <laughs> such a wonderful I am reading. so glad I found it. Oh, because too. when I went looking for it and it wasn't on the net anymore, I was crushed. 
but um, I had printed out a copy at one point for some reason. So and smart. So very, so, very smart. Well, yeah. and, take um, handy. It is true that god-awful fan fiction is gone, and everything mm-hmm. that was ever there is gone. So who knows? I mean, you know, now that um, GeoCities is finally gone, I think a lot of the stuff that was there was only ever posted there and will never, ever be seen anywhere ever again. Dark in the net again. Um, (laughs) Was um, god-awful fanfic where the story was that started out with um, Legolas on the beach in Hawaii? I I don't know if that was there or whether Helmboy just found that. (laughs) And that was brilliant. I love that. And then they went to Walmart. Yeah. are still writing Lord of the Rings fanfic. Maybe that's over now. Well, yeah, this is the strange thing is the the, the cycles these things go through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and whatever the the hot thing is at the moment, you know, that's where the, the fiction is going to be. Yeah. Well, I have some friends who write Harry Potter fanfic, and they're still going way strong, even though the books are over, because well, the movies are still coming out. Right, right. And I'm sure there must be a bazillion Twilight stories. Mm. Because... I'm sure of that. There have to be. Well, I kind of think, too, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me that Harry Potter um, sort of marks a generation the way Star Trek did for us. Mm -hmm. And it's quite possible that that is going to be a strong enough fandom to keep going even when no mm-hmm. new material is being um, being presented yeah, or I produced. I think that's right. I mean, I, I know there are people still writing, you know, fanfic for shows that went off the air years and years and years ago and maybe only ran one or two seasons, but really most of them are not large fandoms. And I don't know, not being really involved in fanfic that much, I kind of get the feeling that um, either Trek fandom... Has has dwindled enormously, or else it's all gone to to uh, to blogs and things like that. And mm-hmm. so you have to go searching for it. Whereas, you know, in in the the heyday of Ascom and ASC, they were all pretty much in those two places. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. I think it's it's probably dwindled and it's probably dispersed, and it's it's um it's balkanized. You know, it, it's just yeah. broken up into niches and. Everybody finds what they have as their little niche, and that was it. And, that, you know, they're, they're not really interested in reading outside of it. Which, yeah. you know, that, that's fine, I guess. It, it, in the old days, you didn't really have a choice, right? Because there were only, like, two places where you could go to read stuff. So, basically, you just read everything that was there, and you got a taste of everything. Yeah, yeah. And it, I think it, it sort of um, spurred on a lot of creativity, too, that you were exposed to things that, that normally you would not have been. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, if somebody was going on and on about a TNG story was really, really good, I would read it, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't a, a TNG fan. I, I never or rarely read um, Voyager or DS9 simply because I had watched so little of them, and I found you cannot read fanfic if you have not got a certain level of exposure to the source material. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just impossible. Completely agree. Yep. Well, but I want to I just fill you in. As we've been chatting, I was doing a little bit of Googling, and mm-hmm. um, there is, in fact, a whole website devoted to Lord of the Rings fan fiction. 
okay, that's we, reassuring. Yeah, and um, <laughs> it's all been updated. And let me just read you uh, a summary of one because it just it goes to show you that the same bad fanfic gets written over and over and oh, over. Oh, goody. So this is called Taming the Wild, and it's rated NC-17. Summary. She was born with only one purpose, to fight. But when Legolas tries to harness her, she finds it difficult to submit for the sake of their love. She must stay true to her namesake. Oh, man. <laughs> you know what that reminds me of? Yes. The Simpsons episode where Lisa gets a pony. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and somebody says, wow, she's really tamed that pony. And then Millhouse says, but who could tame her? Exactly. I might have to read this story. Just to see how bad it is, because the first chapter is only about six paragraphs long. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, wait, let me read the first paragraph. This is so oh, bad. No. You're going to kill me. I'm okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, so it's called, whatever I said it was called, oh, Taming the Wild. And the first chapter is called, Not This Day. Okay. Legolas was merely an elfling, ten years of age, when he first met Ravaniel. Right from the start, he did not like her very much. Today was his day, not hers. You see, today was Legolas's beginning day, and also the day Ravaniel was born. He glared at the tiny infant lying in the bassinet. <laughs> in the bassinet. It was just not right. No other elf in Greenwood shared the same beginning day as his. He was a prince, after all. As he looked down on the sleeping babe, his mind began to wonder how this happened. His mind began to wonder how this happened. That's right, all and, by itself. And then he has a little chat with his dad, Thranduil, and it goes on from there. <sighs> I like the idea of elves with a bassinet. I do, too. <laughs> In the forest, it's probably woven out of ivy leaves or something. <laughs> no, it's made, it's made um, by an offshoot of the Keebler elves. <laughs> They're the only productive elves. In all of Mirkwood Forest. <laughs> oh, man. It's so bad. So each of these... Oh, the second chapter is a little bit longer. Uh, it has some really, really long paragraphs in it. And it just keeps going on and on like that. Oh, chapter three is called What's in a Name? That's clever. I've never heard that before. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, people are still writing bad fan fiction. And here's one right here. Well, that's good. I really wonder, though... For me, it's it's a. It, my mind stops to puzzle about this every now and then. Can yes. it, I mean, you and I and some friends wrote some really deliberately bad fanfic as T Monkey Lover. Mm-hmm. Is that worse than genuine bad fanfic? Can you can you can you exceed their badness? I don't know. Because you know what I think holds us back? We're all actually storytellers. Uh-huh. And so as bad as our monkey fanfic is, it all makes a certain amount of internal sense. Mm-hmm. Because we can't help it. I mean, we found that when we were trying to write that stuff, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> we just couldn't couldn't stop making it make sense. I mean, we could we could... You know, use all the, the the bad spelling and make up our own words and all the things about Mike Nesmith, their leader, and always referring to them all by their full names and 
you know, the whole thing and, and, you know, switching POV and tents and everything else. But still, at the heart of it, there was a story. Yeah. A stupid story, but it was a story. Uh-huh. Whereas this, like the telepathic children invaders has skipped over so many meaningful things that might have at least, you know, held it together. Yeah, there's just, there's no there there. There's no story at all. No, no. no. By the way, um, you know, our Tamunky Lover stuff was at GeoCity, so it's not there any longer. If you search for Tamunky Lover, it comes up. It's hosted in a couple of other places, but the actual horrible site that we built... No, it is because I saw it today, but it has a thing on it saying this is this is an antiquated site. Really? That it, and it's brought to you by the antiquated oh, site people or that's something. That's right because yeah, but it was a GeoCity site, so um, mm-hmm. yeah. But I remember it's how still m- got that great stuff like click on your favorite sleeping monkey. Yeah, I had so much fun when we were building that. It was hilarious. <laughs> Putting in all the blinky stuff and yeah, all the the, the really bad um, animation and and oh yeah, and we wrote like six or seven stories. We did. It was so funny. <laughs> oh, and days. I remember having this discussion about, well, don't we have to write like one legitimate stupid story to establish ourselves? <laughs> See, thinking totally overthinking. <laughs> Yeah, how can we join this horrible club? (laughs) There are times when you just got to love the Internet. It's true. It's like a different dimension. It it, it has its own rules that nobody ever really figures out. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but um, the thing about bad fan fiction is... People have always written bad fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And it's just that you didn't used to be able to read it, right? People would right. write it in notebooks and you'd keep them in your closet and then you'd find them when you were leaving home to go to college and then you threw them out and nobody ever saw them. Yep. But now there's the internet and, and once you put it out, basically forever. That's true. So that, that's the difference. And I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, you know, I think about what's on my website, which I haven't updated in a couple of years, and my earliest fanfic stories are there, which are pretty bad, and I feel bad when I get feedback on them from people who love them, and I think, God, I should take that crap down, and then, you know, I think of Stephen Sondheim, because somebody recently dug up some stuff he had written when he was like 14, Uh and... you know, was producing it, and he and he said he uh, he actually thought about, you know, he looked at the music and he said, you know, there is some some stuff of value here. I could maybe fix this up and everything. And then he realized these are my baby pictures, and you don't retouch your baby pictures. And so I kind of leave it there, you know, mm-hmm. even though I hate the idea that if people go to my site and read just those things, then that's who they think I am as a writer, and it's like, oh, no, but... Oh, well, but, you know, all that stuff was, it's, the baby picture comparison is really apt. It's a snapshot. Yes. It's it's the way you were writing, and it's the community that there was at that point in time, and that's a good thing. I'm glad that it's preserved. Yes, yes, it is. It would be sad if it went away. 
<laughs> well, I think we're kind of at the the uh, end point. I think we are, as opposed we, to the crux, the crux point. point. We are at the end point, and and I don't mean a router or, or anything. <laughs> it's uh, it's the end point here. But anyway, well, I hope you guys have really enjoyed that because I certainly enjoyed all of that bad fanfic. It's just it's so refreshing. I love visiting bad fanfic every now and then. It's like it's like a high colonic for your brain. It is. It really is. And, <laughs> and you laugh and you feel better. And yeah, it's all good there. So yep. I, I think um, next time we'll catch up with more stuff that Bill's doing because, of course, Bill's doing a million and one things. Right. Um, and it, it'll probably be our, our, our Christmas Shattacular. Yeah, yeah. That'll be coming up. It'll be coming up soon. And uh, there's just a million more things. So in the meantime, you guys, help us get to Dragon Con. We yes, we're not that. asking for money. Nope. We'll do that part of it. But give us the information. We need the information. Yeah. Yeah. We want to be a big part of Dragon Con. And, and we want to have a party and have all you guys there yeah. and, and have Bill there. And oh, Bill. <laughs> and maybe, you know, by then, that'll be September of next year. If the DVD of Impulse is out by then, we will <gasps> be bringing it. And we will absolutely invite everybody to come to our room and watch it because it'll be yes. awesome. That'll be great. It will be Fantastic. We'll bring the technology to make it possible to watch a DVD in our room. <laughs> no problemo. We're going to bring it. We will. We absolutely will. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, good night, listeners. Good night, everybody. Send us email. Keep reading the blog. All that stuff that you always do. Bye. Bye. Bye.